The whole theme for Easter weekend here is this idea of still being raised. Still being raised. On the count of three, both campuses, I want you to say out loud the title of this theme for the day, the message conversation for the day. You ready? One, two, three. Still being raised. As a matter of fact, it's a great place to look at the person next and tell them, say, that's me. Like I'm in a process of still being raised. And I, I love this thing so much because it is that very thing. It's a reminder of what God did through his son Jesus. Especially when we read through the events of Easter. When we start on Palm Sunday and we enter into Holy Week and then we enter into the final few hours of this, this man Jesus' life, we learn that God took his son on a process. He took him on a journey. And guess what, church? You and I, we're on a process as well. We're in a journey also. And if you look at the last few days of the life of Jesus, you really see the process. You really see the journey come to life because the process was this. Watch. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Because let, let's not get confused here. If we're talking about the God of the universe, couldn't he have done all of it on Friday? Couldn't his son been crucified on Friday? He'll be buried on Friday. And then on Friday night, he's back. Why three days? Why did it take them three days? And I'll tell you why. Because it was a process. And God wants you and I to learn something about that journey and that process as well. As a matter of fact, let me show it to you. Right here you've got Friday. On Friday, Jesus was still on the cross. On Friday, Jesus is still being beaten. He's still being mocked. He's still being ridiculed. He's still, still being spat on. They're still gambling at his feet for his clothing. They're, they're still mocking him. So on Friday, he's still on the cross. By, by Friday evening, his body is being prepared for burial. So by the time you get to Saturday, now Jesus was being placed in a borrowed tomb. And I know that many of you know the story, but, but so many people thought that the body of Jesus would remain in that tomb forever. But I got to tell you something. It might have been Friday and it might have been Saturday, but Sunday's coming. Come on now. And we see that Friday, Jesus is still on the cross. By Saturday, Jesus is being placed into this tomb. And this is what I just said. Sunday, Jesus was raised up from the dead. And the truth is this. Process. Is found all throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, I dare you to read the Bible. Like really read the Bible from cover to cover. Whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a skeptic or not, whether you're trying to grow in your faith or not, at the end of the day, this is the, the number one best-selling book of all time. So you should probably just read it if for no other reason than to figure out why so many other people are reading it. But if you take my challenge to read it from Genesis to Revelation, here's what you'll discover. You will find a God that desires to reveal to you personally what the next steps are in your journey to get you from where you are and the point in your life that you started reading this book to where ultimately God wants you to end up. It's a journey. It's a process. Because watch this. God does not want you and I to stay stuck in the Fridays of life. 
God doesn't want you to live your life on a day that was associated with pain and with suffering. Do you see that? This is, this is a day of death. And God doesn't want any one of us to live our lives stuck on a day of death. Ultimately, God wants us to move from Friday to Sunday. God wants to move us from a day of death to a day of life. That's a good place to say amen, by the way. He wants to, us to move from a day of mourning to a day of winning. Do you see that? Because Sunday is a day of victory, and there's victory in Jesus. And if you wonder what my number one job is as your pastor or your spiritual tour guide on this process, it's this right here. Figuring out how we can get as many people as we can to move from Friday to Sunday. That, that's why we create environments and, and gatherings over the weekend where the worship is powerful and the preaching is on fire. That's a really good place to say amen. Come on, somebody. That's why we have dynamic kids' ministries. It's why we go all out with signage and we do things like Sunday Fun Day. And then we create systems and structures and small groups and water baptism and classes. Because I want you to know that no matter what you're going through in your life, you do not have to stay stuck on Friday because Sunday is coming. Come on, church. As a matter of fact... If some of you are skeptical and you don't believe me, let's do this together at both campuses. Give me a few hundred people in the rooms that have moved from Friday to Sunday. Come on, is that you? Yeah. It's good. So, so let me give you some encouragement today. Let me, let me give you some hope today. It may be Friday in your life, but you're not very far from Sunday. One moment, one decision, one encounter with a living God. And tomorrow morning you can wake up and you can move from a day of death to a day of life. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the gospel summarized. Here it is. Write it down if you're taking notes. God wants to move us from death to life. That's it. God desires that you and I, we move from death to life. And I don't, I don't want you to miss the power behind what I just said. Like, I, I don't want like, a, like a, a conditional Christian head nod and amen, come on. No, I want you to really, really get with me on this. Because for many of you, this reality can happen today. For many of you, if you choose to say yes to Jesus, then these few words on this screen, which we get from these few words in this book, will change everything. Because if we buy into the reality that God wants to move us from death to life, that means in every area of your life. So that means this. That means that God wants to breathe life back into your dead marriage. It means that God wants to breathe life back into your dying career. It means that God wants to breathe life back into your dying body, whether that's physical, because how many of you know that we serve a God that still heals? Come on now. Or more, more importantly, maybe it's spiritual and you've been dying spiritually. And when you understand this truth that God wants to move us from death to life, you can walk out of here leaving Friday behind, leaving Saturday behind, and walking in the day of victory. Now watch this. 
it doesn't mean that it'll never storm in your world again. It doesn't mean that you'll never have another problem. It doesn't mean that there'll never be another difficulty. It doesn't mean that you'll never face another challenge. But what it does tell us is that although it doesn't exempt us from the storms of life, when we say yes to Jesus and we move from death to life, it means that no matter what we face in our lives, we never have to face them alone again. Come on, church. And that even in the middle of the storm, we can experience life. You and I, we get to live again. And the Apostle Paul writes about this. Paul, Paul, more than anyone in history, could understand the sovereignty of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, because Paul experienced a radical encounter. Paul was a killer of Christians. He was a murderer of the church. And in one encounter, in his own Easter experience on the road to Damascus, Paul experienced this moment where God moves us from death to life. And Paul became so radical about Jesus. He became so bold about Jesus that he started planting churches. He started traveling from city to city to preach the gospel. He wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. And at one point, he writes to the people of Ephesus. And in your Bible, it's a letter known as the book of Ephesians. And he's writing to the people of Ephesus, to the church of Ephesus. And when you get to chapter 2, he starts talking about this idea. That God desires to move us from death to life. And here's what he says. He says, as for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions, your wrongdoings. You were dead in your sin. Here's what he says. He says, you used to live like the rest of the world. And you would obey the devil. The devil is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And then he says this, but you were also ruled by the selfish desires of our bodies and minds. And I don't know, just personally, I find that interesting because he's telling us that not only were you obeying the enemy of this unseen world, but you were also obeying your flesh. So you're fighting two enemies. Do you see that? He says, and so because of that, so because you were, you were following the enemy and because you were following the, the flesh, the lust of the flesh, we made God angry. Why, why was God angry? Here's why. Lean in for a minute. Come on. Because God never intended for you to live a death-filled life. God intended for you to live life and live that life to the fullest. And so God's angry that you're not living the life which he's called you to live. And he says, you made God angry, and so we were going to be punished like everybody else. Now watch this. I'm going to read you verse number four. And when I get done with verse number four, I pray that there is an eruption of applause about the reality of just how good your God is. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. He says, we made God angry, and we were going to be punished like everybody else. I don't think you're ready, but I'm going to go anyway. And he says, but God. But God was merciful. Come on. I don't think that's the best you got. Some of you know this. This TV is pretty high tech. You touch it with one finger, it goes forwards. Touch it with two fingers, it goes back. I'm going to do it again. 
I said, we made God angry, and we were going to be punished like everyone else but God. Come on, church. There it is. Come on, if you've ever experienced the mercy of God, come on, make some noise. He, said, he says it like this. He said, you had a one-way ticket to hell, but God. He says, we were dead because of our sin, but God loved us so much. Here it is, watch this, that he made us alive. Because he's alive, we're alive. Because he lives, we get to live too. And watch this. He made us alive. I love it so much. He made us alive with Christ and God's wonderful kindness. God did not have to do what he chose to do. J.C. deserved death. J.C. deserved that cross. J.C. deserved J.C. deserved me, but God was merciful. Hold on. God was kind? Let me tell you what I hear in my spirit right now. This is, this is jacking up the theology of some people that have bought into other religious gods. Because there is no God like this God. Woo! Tell me another God in some other form of religion that says, you don't have to do anything. I'll do it all. All you have to do is just believe. I'll pay the penalty. I'll bore the stripes on my back. Every other God says, this is how you earn your way into whatever kingdom that you've got to earn your way into. Not the God that we serve. Not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And don't get it twisted. Listen to me. That God is kind. And that God is merciful. And he is wonderful. And because of that kindness, that mercy, and that goodness, that is what saves us. And if you've got a Bible, whether a, a hard copy or your Bible glows, I want you to highlight verse number 6. You ready? It says this. And God raised us from death to life with Jesus Christ. And he's given us a place right beside him in heaven. So when we all die and you get to heaven, you know where to find me. I'm going to be right beside Jesus. Why? i got to hurry. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable. There ain't nobody like this God. The incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. I don't have time to really dive into this. But I'm going to take a moment and tell you God gives us the grace. We just have, the, have to have the faith to believe. And then Paul says, and it's not from yourselves. So don't be fooled. He says, this isn't anything that you can do. It's simply a gift. It's a free gift. And let me tell you something about your pastor. I love gifts. Anybody with me? And he says, it is a gift 
from God. And then he goes on, he says, and not by works. And this is what he's saying. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't be generous enough to get into heaven. You can't volunteer enough hours in your church or community to get into heaven. He says, the only way you get into heaven is by the grace of God, by the kindness of God, by the goodness of God. And all you have to do is believe and say yes and move from death to life. And here's why. Because you, ladies and gentlemen, are God's masterpiece. We're God's handiwork. And we were created in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, we do good works, which he prepared for us to do. Okay, so when Paul lays out these 10 verses, I see a diagnosis and then a remedy. And that's really good news because if you've ever gone to the doctor because you felt sick or ill, you were hoping that they would be able to diagnose you with something so that they could prescribe medication to provide a cure. Now, this has never happened in my life personally, although it came close one time when they found a tumor in my intestines and they said that they would have to do surgery, but they said there should be a full recovery. But maybe in your testimony or somebody you know, you've gone to the doctor, they've given you a diagnosis, and then you've heard the most dreaded words, there is no cure. That's terrifying, isn't it? Okay, but, but with God, when we look at our lives, we understand that there's not just a diagnosis, but there is a remedy. Come on, that's good preaching, by the way. And Paul says, here's a diagnosis, and I'm breaking down the gospel as basic as I can because that's how my brain works. Paul says, here's the, here's, the, here's the disease. Without God, you're dead. Black and white, plain and simple. Make all the money you want. Live in the nicest house you want. Drive the nicest car you got. Whatever, whatever the world calls success, go after it. But at the end of the day, if you don't have God, you're dead and you have nothing. The Bible says it like this. What does it profit a man to gain? The whole world, but lose his soul. Come on, I'm preaching this morning on Easter. It says, without God... We are dead. Now, here at our South Metro Atlanta campus, we are only about 10, 15 minutes away from Sonoa where they filmed The Walking Dead. Okay? And I think that that is symbolic of so many people in the spiritual world. They, they are lifeless because only God can breathe life. Come on. So he says, without God, we're dead. But then he gives us the remedy. And he says, here, here, here's, how, here's how it gets fixed. Here's the solution. If without God we're dead, then with God we come alive. So it blows my mind that people would choose to live life without God knowing that they will be dead when the other alternative is to say yes to Jesus and to come alive in him. Because the truth of the matter is this. Let me jump out of Ephesians into the book of John. Because you will see the competitive contrast between the diagnosis and the remedy found in the plan of the enemy and also in the plan of God. Why God sent his son Jesus. So no matter what this world tells you, the enemy is only after one thing, destruction. That's it. And I've said this to you before, but the enemy has never told you one truth, and God will never tell you one lie. Do you hear me? So here's the plan of the enemy, and you're going to see the contrast between the diagnosis of the enemy and the remedy of Jesus. Watch this. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes 
only for one reason and one reason alone. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why life is so hard for so many of us. Because the enemy is terrified of you moving from death to life and walking in newness with Christ Jesus. And he says, he says, the thief only comes to steal your joy, to steal your happiness, to kill your marriage, to kill your family, to destroy your calling and your purpose. Listen to me. This is why he comes. And if the Bible stopped right there, I would be really depressed. But the Bible doesn't stop because then Jesus gets into the conversation and Jesus says, but I have come. Come on, church. He says, but I have come that you what? May have, say it again, may have and have it abundantly. Now, if you're wondering which one of these objective wins out, which one of these missions or these purposes went out, I'm going to tell you. Because I read the end of the book, and we win. Watch this. This is just for fun. You ready? At the end of the book, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 18, Jesus says, Hey, I, Jesus, I am the living one. And he says, and I think he kind of mocks the enemy. He says, I was dead, but look at me now. If I was writing this out, I'd say it like this. I, was the li- I am the living one. I was dead. And guess what, devil? Who's your daddy? Come on, somebody. Who's your daddy now? He says, and I am alive for how long? Forever and ever and ever. Come on. And then he says this. And I don't know if you see any comedy in this last line, but it's hysterical to me. Because he says, and I hold the keys of death and hell. And some of you are thinking, why, why is that funny? Listen to it. He says to the devil, and I hold the keys. He says to Satan, you don't even have the keys to your own house, bro. I took the keys to your house and the keys to your car. I took it all. Now, somebody ought to help me preach today on Easter. Not only did I defeat you so that my sons and daughters could have life, but I took the keys. I locked you out of your own house. Come on. Woo. Remember what I said. Watch this. God wants to move us from death to life. That's it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Easter. And this is my sermon. That's it. Okay. Some of you are like, man, I like this church. He preached like 25 minutes. Well, since we've got time, can I tell you two stories? I'm just going to tell you two stories. Because I think now, hopefully, through the power of God, some of you are literally on the edge of your seat wondering, well, how do I move from death to life? 
If that's what God wants for me, and I want that too, tell me how. Because I don't, let me tell you my own life, I don't want to walk out of this room. I don't want to walk out of our South Metro Atlanta campus, or for those of you in Maryland, I don't want to walk out of that movie theater there and go back into the Friday of life. I don't want to go back into the day of death or the day of mourning or the day of pain. If you're telling me that I get to have life and have it more abundantly, then tell me how to get it. I'm going to show you two stories. The first story comes out of John chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, flip there really quick. We see, let me give you some context here about this story. It's about a family of siblings. You've got, you've got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, okay? Now, in John chapter 11, we, we've learned leading up to this point that Jesus really loves this family. Like, Jesus deeply loves this family. I don't think that I'm taking this out of context, but, but I would think that, that this was some of the closest friends of Jesus. So, in John chapter 11, we learned that it is the brother Lazarus who has contracted some type of disease, and he has died. Okay, now, I don't know what kind of disease it is. I, I tried to read it in the Bible. I couldn't find it. I even went to Google, and Google was no help to me. So I don't know what the disease is, but ultimately we know that whatever the disease was, it, it led to his death temporarily. And we get there. So Jesus finds out that his closest friend has died and that in itself is a miracle because this is long before the days of email text messaging and social media so by the time that the word gets to Jesus that Lazarus has died and then Jesus makes the journey from where he is to the town of Bethany which is where Lazarus was buried now Lazarus has been dead for four days somebody say four days so Jesus is walking down this dirty, dusty road. He's making his way to Bethany. And all of a sudden, Martha comes running to Jesus. And the first thing she says out of her mouth is in John chapter 11, 21. And she says this. She accuses the Messiah. If only you would have been here, like on time, then my brother would not have died. Let's be real. Have we ever made a statement like that to God? If only you would have. If only you would have. And then Jesus jumps in and he says, and I don't think that he like, uh, he, he's disrespectful to her, but he says, listen to me. Your brother will rise again. What a profound statement. He's saying, I'm going to move your brother from death to life. And then Martha says, of course he will. I know that he's going to rise again on the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus is like, woman, listen. I am. <laughs> he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I love what Jesus says there because Jesus says, he says, I'm not just offering resurrection, I am the resurrection. Jesus says to us today, I'm not just offering you victory, I am victory. I'm not just offering you life, I am life. Isn't that good? And so then if you go to verse 30, 33, you see that Jesus is deeply moved because he loves his family. And he says, hey... Where have you laid him? Where did you bury him? And they said, hey, come and see, Lord. And so, so he replied, he followed them. But before he did that, in verse 35, we see that Jesus wept. Uh, the shortest, one of the shortest verses in all of the Bible, but so profound. 
that God would take on the form of humanity and that he would feel the emotion of grief and pain and loss. And Jesus wept. And then you go to verse 38. And Jesus, again, deeply moved within. He came to the tomb where one of his best friends has been dead for four days. And it was a cave. And there was a stone that was lying against it. And I, I highlighted that because the very first instruction that Jesus gives is this. He says, remove it. Remove the stone. And Martha, because she still can't figure out what's happening, she says, well, wait a minute. By this time, there's going to be a stench. She's saying, Jesus, I don't know if you know how this death thing works, but after a while, the body begins to decompose, and it lets out this odor. There's going to be a stench. He's been dead for four days. Not one, not two, not three, but four. He ain't dead. He's four days dead. And Jesus said to her, now you're getting on my nerves. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) Forgive me. Forgive me. He said, did I not say to you? Did I not tell you like five minutes ago that if you just believe, you're going to see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and then Jesus raised his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And then he says this, I know that you hear me. He says, I just said that because I got a lot of disbelief around me. And so I said it so that they might believe that you sent me because the glory that they're about to experience, they know, will not come from man But it can only come from you. Because again, church, it is only God that moves us from death to life. And when he said these things, the Bible said, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth or come out. And watch verse 44. And the dead man, the man who had been dead for four days, came out. Now, he was bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around him with the cloth. And Jesus said these words, unbind him and let him go. That's one story, and I'm going to show you the instructions here, because I think some of you are interested in the process of how moving from death to life works. And I think some of you are tired of living like Lazarus. The first thing Jesus said over 2,000 years ago, and I think it's so true for us today, he said, remove. He said, there there is a stone that's in the way, and I want it gone. Can, Can I tell you, and I want you to hear me closely, that it was the stone that stood between Jesus and Lazarus, and Jesus knew, in order for him to have direct access to me and so that I can have direct access to him, I need every ungodly thing that's standing between us gone. I need it removed. And here's what I believe. In order for God to do what he wants to do in your life, which is moving you from death to life, we've got to be aware of and then remove the things that are separating us from the Lord. And if you're being honest with me, many of you, you walked in to one of our campuses on Easter weekend and the stone was sin. Or the stone is pride. I don't need God. I'll I'll be my own God. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to destruction. Some of you walked in and your stone is anger. You've been angry at God because your your parents divorced 25, 30 years ago. You've been angry at God because your grandma died and you thought that God was going to heal her. And so you've carried this anger or this bitterness or this resentment towards a father who walked out on you or a mother who didn't meet what level of expectation that you had. And so now all of a sudden, there is this big stone. And it's standing in the way of you and Jesus. 
And I, I don't know what it is, but I've got to ask you a few questions. What's in the way? What is it that's keeping you from moving from death to life? What are the distractions? What are the sins? What are the issues? What, what's got you buried? What are the stones? Jesus says, remove it. Because I want access to you, and I want you to know that you get access to me. The second instruction that he gave was this. He said, I don't only want you to remove the stone, but I need you to respond to what I'm saying. The Bible says that when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, and the man who was dead came forth. And I love this so much because it wasn't enough for Lazarus just to hear from Jesus, but obedience needed to take place. And I think one of the main reasons that so many of us, we keep living like Lazarus, one of the reasons that so many of us, we keep uh, staying in this dead life, this Friday of life, is because we refuse to respond to what he's telling us to do. My prayer for this Easter message, it's my prayer for every message that the Lord graced me to speak, is that you wouldn't just listen, but you'd figure out how you have to respond. And I'm going to give you that opportunity at the end, because everybody's got a choice today. And I think, again, no matter where you find yourself on the spiritual spectrum, you, you and I, most of us, we know what we need to do. We know what we need to remove, and we know how we need to respond. And if you don't know any of that, that's why the message is here today, so you can figure all of that out. But listen to me. Why would you choose to stay dead like Lazarus when you can have life like Jesus? Whew. He says, remove and respond. Like, what if today your response was this? No more playing games with God. No more going through the religious motions of Christianity. No, no, more, no more trying to be God and take control because I don't trust Him enough. No more spiritual hide and seek from God. No more running from God. No more running from my calling today. What if you said, I'm going to remove the stuff that's in my life keeping me from going all in with Jesus, from moving from death to life, and then I'm going to respond with a yes, yes to Jesus. He says, remove, respond, and then he says this, release. Here's what he says. He says, the man who died came forth, and he was bound hand and foot. There was wrappings. He was mummified, if you can get that image in your mind. His face was wrapped around with the cloth, and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. I want you to see it, and I'm almost done. The miracle had already taken place, but Lazarus was still bound. And Jesus says, listen to me. He says, I want you to experience true freedom. And so many Christians stay stuck right here because God doesn't just want to get you out of the grave. He wants to get the stench of the grave out of you. Do you hear that? He doesn't just want you out of the grave, but he wants the smell of death off of you completely. And he says, I want you to experience true freedom. And so many Christians, they stay stuck right here. They've said yes to Jesus, but they live their lives in bondage. They still live as though they were mummified. And Jesus says, I don't want you to just remove some stuff and respond but I want to release you to do great things for me because now if you've moved from death to life, you have a story and somebody needs to hear it. And I think so many of us, we've had such great emotional experiences before. You've been to Easter church before, come on. You've heard a sermon before, most of you, many of you. 
For most of us, we've, we've heard Jesus, and this, this is the first time you've ever heard the name Jesus. There should be power in that name. Come on, we've made a commitment before. Some of you have accepted Jesus before. Some of you have even prayed before, but yet you're still bound. You're still wrapped up. And Jesus says, I want you to be free and released from the things that the enemy has got you trapped with. I mean, aren't you tired of living like Lazarus? Aren't you tired of living in the Fridays of life? I know that I was. And that's the second story. 20 years ago this year, I found Jesus. And I'm going to tell you the story real quick, and it starts as a child. I'll do it fast, but just give me a minute and we'll be done. I grew up in church. My parents took me to church. I'm a product of a blended family. We're kind of like the Brady Bunch, if you will. My mom was married once before. My dad was married once before. They both had three children. They separated from those relationships for a variety of reasons. They met each other, and then they had me, number seven, the golden child. I, I tell my siblings all the time that mom and dad had to keep figuring out until they, they ended with perfection and completion. Grew up in a good home, good, good parents. When I was 13 years old, my father died from a massive heart attack. As a matter of fact, if you'll let me get a little emotional, um, today I'm, I'm wearing his wedding ring. My, my, I don't know the last time I put it on, but my finger's not as big as his. We got the phone call in the middle of the night that he had a heart attack, and he was an over-the-road truck driver, and he made it to Virginia and checked into a hotel, and Within 20 minutes, he was calling the front desk, and by the time they got there, he was gone. I'll never forget the cry that I heard my mom let out that night as the reality of now being a widow and a single mom set in. And for me, I mean, I just, if I'm being honest and transparent, I used my dad's death to run. And I ran. That day, I literally ran away from home as a 13-year-old kid. I didn't know where I was going, but... It just seemed like the appropriate response was just to run, and I ran. I mean, I ran and ran and ran. Finally, I came back home, and the, by this time, the family's there, the friends are there. And, but that running in the physical was foreshadowing of what I would do in the spiritual for the next six years, because I ran. I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't want anything to do with the church. I was done. So by the time I got into high school, uh, I mean, I was a waste. I woke up this morning thinking about it because my high school chemistry teacher nicknamed me pathetic. So when I would walk into the class, he would introduce me as pathetic. Pathetic is here. And everybody would laugh. It was my senior class that looked at me and they voted me most likely not to succeed in life. I had no hope. I had no future. So I turned to alcohol. It's a generational curse on my family. And so I, I started drinking and I drank. I drank. 
I connected so much to Caesar's story in the video earlier because I, I knew even at 18 years old and 19 years old what it felt like to have to drink yourself to sleep. I mean, my half-sister Donna died from cirrhosis of the liver because she drank a bottle of vodka every day. So I drank. Now in the state of Florida, where is where I grew up, you could serve alcohol at 18, but you couldn't legally drink until you were 21. So I was able to land a job as a bartender at 18 years old at a restaurant called Bennigan's. So on the weekend, I'm slinging drinks and I'm making a lot of money uh, as an 18 year old kid, but I had nothing to show for it because I spent all that money back into alcohol. So every dollar I made, I drank it away. My mom is the greatest mom, but even she got fed up with my, my behavior and eventually I had to move out of my house. So now I'm, I'm like the prodigal son, man. I'm living in a pig's pen. I can't even tell, I don't even remember the names of some of the people that I lived with in that season. So many nights I woke up in a strange home or a strange room or I can't even remember how I got back to the house that I was living in. I mean, I was a waste. My mom started to rediscover her own commitment to Christ and started attending a church in Tampa. And there was a, a, a gentleman there by the name of Bill Harrison. And Bill served on a couple of the boards and he actually worked at the church as well as kind of a part-time deal. And I guess my mom began to tell him the story and I, I became friends with the family. And on one evening I was working at the bar and I looked up and Bill Harris is sitting on the end of the bar. I don't know if he'll ever watch this message, but I'm forever grateful for you. And I looked up and I said, Bill, you want a drink? And he said, no. No, I gave that up a long time ago. He said, JC, he said, I want you to come work for me. He said, work for you? What do you do? He said, I own a landscaping company. He said, I see something in you, and I know that the enemy's gripped you. And I'm asking you to quit your job and come work for me. I said, well, how much are you going to pay me? He said, minimum wage. I said, man, minimum wage. Come on, man, look. I mean, I'm slinging drinks. I'm making money. I said, when do you want me to quit? He said, right now. Quit right now. And I know that it was God, even though I didn't really know God, know God. But I took my apron off, and I dropped it on the bar, and I walked out of that restaurant. On Monday, I started with Bill Harris and his landscaping company. And he literally dropped me off at the Orange Hill Cemetery in Tampa, Florida. And he said, here's the job. 19.6 acres, 16,000 graves. He said, you're going to start on Monday. It's going to take you all week to cut the cemetery. It'll grow back throughout the week and then start all over on Monday again. He said, you got it? I said, I guess. I said, are there any rules? He said, yes, don't run over the tombstones. All right. So I started cutting. And cutting I did. Days went by and weeks went by and a couple of months went by. And all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen, something happened Something happened to me. In a cemetery, I found Jesus. Woo! Oh. oh, man, I heard God speak. Like I heard his voice. Only two times in my life have I ever heard like the audible voice of God. And this was one of them. And he called me by my name. That was it. JC. 
you got to think, here I am. I mean, I'm, I'm living my life for the world. I'm in a cemetery, and now I'm hearing voices. I think I'm losing my mind. But it was God. And in that moment, in that conversation, God showed me how to move from death to life. He said, JC, you got to remove some stuff. He said, when you get up from here, remove some stuff. Those people you've been running with, those people you've been hanging with, you got to remove them from your life. It's the reason that as soon as I got saved, I moved out of the state of Florida. Because I knew if I stay here, I'll never fully experience freedom. He said, when you get up from here, you respond to me. Now, I don't feel like he threatened me that if I had said no, that he would have killed me. But I felt that much fear of God that this is my last chance. And I think for some of you, you've been toying with the grace of God far too long. It's time to respond. And then he said, and when you get up from here, I'm releasing you into full-time ministry and your life will never be the same again. And here's my thought. I could keep going, but it's over time and you got eggs to hunt. Let me say it to you like this. Watch. If God can do it for Lazarus, then God can do it for a pathetic loser like me. God can do it for you.